Let's say you get to pick, Joey, where you're drafting in your home league. You're given the choice. Mm-hmm. What, do, what are you picking? Where, where do you want to be this year, 2021, for your home redraft leagues? If you, if you get the absolute first pick to pick wherever you want. I definitely want one of the first two picks mm-hmm. because I think there is a teardrop after CMC. And then I think there's a teardrop after Delvin Cook. So obviously I want the 101. If I can't have the 101, I want the 102. That's pretty standard. If I'm picking a less obvious option, I think my preferred choice would be 106 to 108. Mm. That's the range where you might get an elite running back to fall to you like a Zeke or a Camara. That's also the range where you can consider taking Travis Kelsey or taking a high upside elite wide receiver one like Devontae Adams or Tyreek Hill. And then it's very good that you know you get to pick in the middle of each round where some tier breaks happen in the middle of like rounds five and round six is when the players start to fall off in my opinion. So if I'm not picking from the 101 I want somewhere in the middle and then probably least preferred would definitely be at the end of the first round maybe it's different in home leagues but in best ball you either have to choose between you know sacrificing running back value and going with two wide receivers or sacrificing wide receiver value and going with two potential workhorse running backs and then and then you're kind of left in the dust when it comes to round three and you're left with Robert Woods as your wide receiver one or DeAndre Swift as your running back one. Yep, I echo everything that you just said. I think that optimally you're going to be trying to get you know, one of those top two picks for all the reasons that you mentioned. I also, I mean, I don't mind the 3-4 range where you can lock up Kamara or, or Zeke in that spot and feel very confident about being able to land another wide receiver on the comeback or, you know, going two wide receivers with some of the options available at the 2-3 turn like Keenan, uh, C.D. Lamb, Allen Robinson, Terry McLaurin. I think that that's a, this, an optimal build, but if you're not in that range, I agree wholeheartedly. Like, you, sh- you should try and shoot for the middle and just hammer value all draft long and and just outdraft your opponents based on your knowledge yep i'm with you 100 percent. the 101 and the 102 are, are basically cheat code draft spots this year that's why i've seen a lot of people say like you know transition to an auction league where everybody's on fair ground to bid for mccaffrey and then i've also seen some analysts propose that third round reversal should be the norm for the future of fantasy football to kind of even out the playing field third round reversal is when the person with the 112 would get the first pick of the third round and then it goes from a snake draft from there which i think could be interesting it's kind of as, doing as I too it. much though you know yeah but i mean the scott fishbowl is like that i mean i played in it this year the satellite qualifier it was a best ball format third round reversal it it was pretty dope i mean like i said it evens out the playing field because the cmc teams are just so much better than every other team especially in best ball so i think it makes it more fair for the people drafting at the end of the draft but uh, i I don't think it will become the norm just with like regulars you know Mm, yeah for sure for sure What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 156 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we're taking a break from best ball and we are focusing on what is still the most popular form of fantasy football redraft. We're going to go round by round and give you the information that you need to dominate 
your home league, you know, your friends and family league, your work league, whatever it is, if you listen to this podcast, you're going to have a leg up. That's just the way it is, you know, and there is going to be such a jam-packed topic that we're actually extending it into a two-part episode. So today, episode 156, we're going to cover the first eight rounds of your drafts, and then tomorrow we'll be back on that ass with episode 157. You know, you, you get no break. We're coming right back at you to finish the back end of the draft. So make sure you are subscribed on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. And if you'd like to, you can find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, and live stream on Mondays. Joey, before we get into our round-by-round breakdown, I want to just start with sort of a general question. What do you think the number one difference is in terms of draft strategy between drafting best ball teams and drafting redraft teams? I'm sure a lot of our listeners are making that transition right now. Yeah, I mean, the obvious difference... (laughs) is redrafted is uh, is managed so waivers trades <laughs> you know you have to set your lineup yourself make the best possible decision and i think that's where the majority of the edge comes into redraft is being able to stay on top of waivers and fix your team as the season goes along cuz you know we're we're going to have waiver wire studs throughout the entire nfl season so i obviously that's the main difference but i also think that in best ball you could be a little bit more fragile obviously with the tournament format uh in the top heavy payouts you got to shoot for those one percentile outcomes and redraft six teams make the playoffs 50 percent of the league so i think i would take less risk in redraft because it's just all about getting there mm-hmm. and that i think that's one of the main differences as well yeah that that's exactly what i was gonna say is like in best ball tournament when you need to be in the top two to move on to like the playoffs if you will you Mm -hmm. need to be shooting for upside with basically every single pick in the draft you know downside doesn't matter you're all you're chasing ceiling you're ignoring floor and i don't think that's the case at all like you said you really just need to get to the end so if you're you know the sixth team versus the first team it doesn't really matter that much because at that point it's just going to be who can you know have things break right for them in this final stretch of games so i do prioritize floor much more in redraft than i do in best ball i'm right there with you i think that obviously Obviously, you need upside on your team for your team to make it to the playoffs. But with trades and waivers, I think it makes it so much easier to get there. So mm-hmm. you want to be less risky, but you still need to get upside players on your team in order for you to win your league. You can get there with being less risky than in best ball because like you said top two in best ball but top six in redraft yep and, and that's a drastic difference let's get into our round by round analysis here and we'll start off at the top round one we're going to be using fantasy pros consensus adp they take all of the adps from a variety of sites mfl uh, ffpc espn etc mm-hmm. and sort of compile them into a consensus ranking so this seems like it'll be pretty good for you know your standard home league this doesn't matter what platform you're on these this these adp should balance out and as the first round breaks down on fantasy pros there are nine running backs being taken in the first round two wide receivers and one tight end that tells you what you need to know that the thirst for an elite running back is real it always is at the top of drafts every single year and this year is no different nine running backs going in the first round how important is it for you to draft an elite running back with your first pick is it something you're making a concerted effort to do i think it is in redraft just because you want that floor 
like we just talked about, you know, you want to be less risky. You want that floor, but combined with that ceiling um, out of one of these elite guys at the top of the draft. So CMC, Cook, Camara, Zeke, Derrick Henry, all guys that have solid, solid floors, but immense ceiling. So I think it is pretty important, but I will say, and shout out to uh, Pat Crane of NBC Sports Edge for the article. If you want to check it out, you can just Google it. Running backs bust at a 40% rate in round one. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, and wide receivers bust at around a 20% rate. And especially in, in a full PPR league, I think after pick two with Cook, I think it's feasible to go with a Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams in your redraft league. I mean, those guys last season had the 45-point upside, and they both hit it multiple times throughout the season. And I think those guys are just as safe as the elite running backs. I'm fine with taking one of those guys above a Kamara or Derrick Henry. We'll have to see what happens when our home league drafts start. The the running back position is going to get squeezed early, so you might feel compelled to take one, but I don't necessarily think you have to. And honestly, the optimal strategy might be fading those round one running backs. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's definitely viable. And like we said, you know, you're going to be targeting upside a lot more in best ball than you are in redraft. So does not necessarily make sense to embrace the risk of, say, a Saquon Barkley versus a player Mm -hmm. like Adams or Hill? I I don't know that it does. I I really don't. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I think one for one, Devontae Adams is a better pick than Saquon Barkley. And according to Fantasy Pros ADP, Saquon is sixth and Devontae Adams is seventh. So if I'm in the middle of the first round and I have the choice between Devontae or Saquon, I'm taking Devontae Adams over Saquon Barkley, 10 out of 10. I agree. And it extends sort of towards the turn as well. Players like Jonathan Taylor, Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, like these are fine picks, but I don't know if I could justify taking them over some of the round two wide receivers that we'll get to in Mm -hmm. a little while. Um, I just want to double down on what you were saying. I mean, I have no issue going wide receiver in round one. I know that, you know, you obviously can't if you're at the top the draft and I personally extend that to Alvin Kamara at number three um I think that that he's kind of a clear-cut high floor high ceiling option I know there's question marks with whether Taysom Hill or Jameis is the starter but I feel very confident about Kamara as the number three pick in fantasy this year but outside of that I mean I think that it's viable to go with Adams and Hill as early as pick four over players like Derrick Henry Zeke and Barkley and I have no issue leaving the first two rounds with two wide receivers I really don't this season yeah I'm I'm right there with you and like I said it might be optimal just in terms of you know, bust percentage because in in the first couple rounds, running backs bust more than wide receivers. So I think that's something to, to keep in the back of your head. There is a player in the in round one that I can safely assume that neither of us are ever drafting. He's one of the more popular picks. People love to take Travis Kelsey. I personally am never doing it, not once. I don't think I've taken him in a single one of my 300-plus best ball drafts, and I certainly <laughs> won't be taking him in any of our home leagues. Yeah, I'm probably fading Travis Kelsey in redraft as well. I think with the ability to stream tight ends, and then also you have some other high upside tight ends in Waller and Kittle that are both going in the third round according to fantasy pros I don't see a reason to take Travis Kelsey at the 108 in your home league so right there with you on a fade of Travis Kelsey and then I'm also fading the player that is going after Travis Kelsey and that's Nick Chubb 
Mm -hmm. Uh, In a full PPR league, I'm not taking a player that's going to lose opportunity to Kareem Hunt, and he's not going to play on pass downs. This is just a case of if it comes down to it, I'm at the 109, and I have my choice of Nick Chubb or Tyreek Hill, who's going 110. I'm taking Tyreek Hill over Nick Chubb. I'm taking Stephon Diggs over Nick Chubb. I'm taking Calvin Ridley over Nick Chubb. That's just my my opinion on on Chubb and Kelsey. I'm fading both of them in the first round. Yeah, I I agree 100%. And you know, transitioning into round two and some of those names that you mentioned, the way that ADP seems to be forming in redraft, I'm almost certainly going to be looking to target wide receiver in this round. Those players, Diggs, Ridley, Hopkins, Metcalf, they're just such strong picks and so much more likely to pay off their price than even running backs that seem to be good choices in that range, like Najee Harris, you know, Antonio Gibson, even Austin Eckler, who I think is a super strong pick, but still feels like you are going to need a lot more to break right than you do for players like Ridley and Diggs and Hopkins and Metcalf, who just, they're so safe and their ceilings are so high and their floors are so high. Yeah. I mean, I'm right there with you. I think we're going to agree on most of the rounds in which direction to go I think the wide receivers are just clear-cut better picks in round two than the running backs and then also fantasy pros has Patrick Mahomes at 19 above Calvin Ridley who's 20 I mean that's just egregious I'm never taking Patrick Mahomes in the second round but then again this is you know the ADP of a million teams from different sites and you know most of these players are casual players they haven't probably drafted on underdog where Calvin Ridley is the 13th overall player, but on fantasy pros ADP, he's the 20th mm-hmm. overall player. So I think that's another strategy that you can use if you're listening is, you know, just looking at ADP from best ball, comparing it to this redraft ADP and finding values that way. So when the pick comes at pick 14 and Calvin Ridley's sitting there on the board, I think he's, a, I think he's a smash pick in redraft if he's being ranked as, as the 20th best player. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, his ADP of wide receiver six, I think is even a little crazy. I have him as my wide receiver three right now behind Adams and Hill. So, I mean, Calvin Ridley is definitely a player that I'm looking to target. He's my favorite pick in the second round, according to this ADP. Joey, you know, we talked about not being afraid to go with wide receiver in the first round. So say you're in that middle range, right? Round six or seventh pick, and you do take Devontae Adams or Tyreek Hill with that pick. Are you going to feel pressured to grab a running back in this spot, you know, like Gibson or Harris? Are you going to feel comfortable doubling down on wide receiver with Ridley or Hopkins or or somebody in that range. I definitely feel comfortable doubling down and maybe that's just from drafting all off season and just learning about trends and running backs and what has the highest win rates. You know, I know that's for best ball, but I, I think you can translate it to redraft as well. I would definitely feel fine going with a Tyreek Hill round one, Calvin Ridley round two start. Like I said, running backs might go off the board quick in your home league. So you might feel pressured to take one but if it comes down to it if I'm on the clock at pick 18 and let's say Calvin Ridley's still on the board somehow and Antonio Gibson's on the board I mean I think it's an easy pick right Calvin Ridley 100% 100% 100% 10 out of 10 times Joey but what if what if Joe Mixon is on the board does that change things Hell for no. you <laughs> absolutely not don't mention Joe Mixon on this podcast you're still okay? you're still holding on to that still he's ranked as the 21st overall player so back end of the second round as the RB 13 which I, I guess is good value maybe to some people I'm not drafting him I drafted him last year we see how well that worked out so yeah no never Joe Mixon Don't ever mention his name on this podcast, please. 
Yeah. All right. I got you. I I have actually come around to the Never Joe Mixon train. I was pretty bullish on him earlier earlier in the offseason, but I am starting to have major concerns about the uh the offensive line and what it's going to do to uh the Cincinnati Bengals this year. We've talked about that on previous podcasts though. Round 3. Joey to me round 3 is a fork in the road. It's it's where you're either going to go right or you're going to go left. You're either going to go towards the winning team or you're going to completely burn yourself because you can make a big mistake in round 3 I think passing up on some of the elite value players that have justifiable causes to be round 2 picks but aren't just because of some of the other players that go, you know, for example Keenan Allen, C.D. Lamb, Allen Robinson. Like these are players that I think make a lot of sense. You know, if you ended up with an elite running back at the top of your draft and you double down and get one of these guys as your wide receiver too, you're in great shape. If you fade running back entirely and get one of these guys as your third wide receiver, I think you're in an amazing spot. You know, how do you feel about this tier break? And do you think that the running back dead zone theory from best ball applies to redraft? Because we know that in terms of winning in best ball, you want to fade players in this range like David Montgomery and J.K. Dobbins and DeAndre Swift. But do you think that that still holds true in redraft? draft where you again are only trying to get into the top six opposed to the top two i personally do believe that it holds true just because with the archetype of these running backs in the dead zone they're just very fragile in my opinion and jk dobbins who's not going to see the opportunity to pay off you know a round three adp david montgomery could lose work to damian williams and i don't think he's that talented josh jacobs is going to lose work to Kenyon drake so i do think that it still applies i do think that the wide receivers in this range are just so like I, I just think they are so much better picks than the running backs in this range so like you said um, I, I think the strategy is to double down if you go running back wide receiver to start you get your wide receiver too I would say most formats of fantasy football is you start two running backs two wide receivers and one flex so I think you could go with your wide receiver three here as well I know it's a little bit different in you know our home league but I think the wide receiver three strategy is viable and then also Darren Waller who has a rank of 25 and George Kittle at 26 are phenomenal picks as well secure that high upside elite tight end one and one of the most scarce positions if I'm drafting round three it's probably one of these high upside wide receivers and or a high upside tight end. Yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, we see that like we talked about on Underdog where there's a lot of, you know, real money drafting going on and sharp players you know these guys are going earlier Darren Waller's a second round pick on that site so if you can capitalize on the value of getting him in the third round I think that makes a lot of sense and it's really the reason why you and I are fading Travis Kelsey because the opportunity cost of you know giving up your first round pick on a tight end versus giving up your third round pick on a tight end for players with comparable ranges of outcomes and comparable floor ceiling combos I think it's just wildly different and it, it just makes Waller and Kittle both such better picks than Travis Kelsey from a value perspective. Yeah. I'm team fade Travis Kelsey. We, we already touched on that. Darren Waller, George Kittle are two great tight ends. And I, I do think they have similar ceilings to Travis Kelsey. And honestly, like I wouldn't be surprised if Darren Waller outscores Travis Kelsey. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it probably won't happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if it did. It seems squarely uh, in, in the realm of possibility. You know, if you're on the team, hashtag never Joe Mixon, I'm on the team, hashtag never JK Dobbins. I think he's one of the worst picks you can make inside the top. 30. I, I, we've talked about it on the podcast before on our top fades list. 
list, but J.K. Dobbins to me is just one of the most egregious picks you can make in the third round, sacrificing the potential of a player like McLaurin or Robinson or Lamb or Keenan for a guy who's going to be in a three-way split, going to be giving up over 200 rush attempts to the other players in his backfield, Lamar Jackson and Gus Edwards. You know, he's going to be taken out of the field in scoring position. They don't pass to their running backs. People are building in, you know, receiving upside to a player who I think it's pretty questionable whether or not he'll be used in that way. I would rather have every other running back in this range if you are determined to go running back in round three. Give me <laughs> Swift. Give me Demont. Give me Chris Carson by a million. I, I have no interest in J.K. Dobbins. I, I would like the people just to know that. Yeah, I mean, J.K. Dobbins is easily the worst pick in this round, I think. Uh, maybe include Josh Jacobs in there as well. Yes. J.K. Dobbins is going to be a guy that's going to get you know 12 touches a game, maybe one catch per game, and he's going to lose goal line opportunity to Lamar Jackson and Gus Edwards. So he's an overpriced Ronald Jones. Honestly, like obviously he's more talented than Ronald Jones, but you can get the similar opportunity in Ronald Jones, who's going in like round nine or round ten. Yep. Like <laughs> on on an equally probably better offense in Tampa Bay than in Baltimore. So J.K. Dobbins is a clear cut fade. And then I just want to include that uh, they have Josh Allen at 32, which is interesting. I think that this ADP has quarterbacks higher because usually in your home league, there is a couple people that just draft any quarterback in the first like three rounds. Like in our home league, Aaron Rodgers will probably be off the board before round four. Uh, yeah. So so that's interesting if i if i'm have to take josh allen in round three i'm not doing that i'm waiting till minimum fifth round which which we could talk about when we get there but just wanted to include that they have josh allen in this round yep and and we'll continue to talk about uh, the way that quarterbacks are valued and how that's different in redraft as well as we continue moving on to round four and you know i feel like we're kind of repeating ourselves but again the wide receiver depth is still top tier right now at this point in round four and there will be a drop off soon and i think the opportunity cost of going with other positions will diminish as we get into rounds five six and seven but at this point in the draft it still seems like wide receiver is the clear optimal pick when you have your choice of players like amari cooper you know either of the bucks receivers either of the rams receivers julio even Tyler Lockett and DJ Moore. It's hard to lose with those picks, but it's not hard to lose by making picks on guys like Miles Sanders or Mike Davis or Josh Jacobs. Yeah, I, I agree. Josh Jacobs is, is going in the third round, the end of the third, early fourth, not taking him there. Other than that, there's only, what, one or two running backs that are going in the fourth round. Right now, according to Fantasy Pros ADP in Miles Gaskin and Miles Sanders. So, I do think that the consensus ADP tells you to take a wide receiver in round four over a running back, which I would agree with. And then Mark Andrews at 47, I don't mind him there, although his ADP on underdog is like 60, so... He's a little bit more expensive in redraft, which I think is fine, but I don't know if I would take him in round four above Adam Thielen, Cooper Cup. I mean, God, even Tyler Lockett. <laughs> Yeah. And the other question is, 
do you take a shot on Kyle Pitts in this range in redraft? Obviously, we've talked on multiple podcasts this offseason about why we're in on Kyle Pitts, why we're fading the doubt, and why we think that Kyle Pitts is a phenomenal pick in this range. However, the wide receivers that appear to be available in redraft are a little bit stronger, I think, than the than the wide receivers that you're choosing between Pitts on in best ball. Mm-hmm. Like in best ball, you're choosing between Kyle Pitts and Brandon IU, T. Higgins, Adam Thielen, and I think that there's a lot of reason to go Pitts there. If if I have to decide between Kyle Pitts and Amari Cooper and and Chris Godwin, I I think it's a, a much more difficult choice. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you again. Obviously it, it depends on your league and who comes off the board, but if Cooper Cup and, and Lockett and Cooper and Chris Godwin are still on the board. Deontay Johnson are still on the board in the fourth round, and you're on the clock, and Kyle Pitts is on the board too. It's going to be hard to take Kyle Pitts above those guys that you know have wide receiver one potential. I, I don't know, man. Be, I, I think it's tough because I, I do think that Kyle Pitts could be a difference maker year one and the opportunity should be there. But taking him above you know, some of the wide receivers that we just mentioned might be egregious in the fourth round so I I don't I don't know I think it would matter just more how your draft falls and whether or not wide receiver value is still there if I would take Pitts or not in redraft Mm -hmm. yep I I agree with that take if he falls into round five however I I think that he's a smash that's a yeah smash auto draft in round five yep and and that could happen like if we see what happens uh according to fantasy pros adp like actualizing these drafts i could definitely see pitts falling because you know according to fantasy pros a lot of these top quarterbacks have already been taken like you've referenced mahomes with a second round adp allen with a third round adp kyler murray and lamar jackson both have fourth round adps and i i think it you know, if you're at this point in the draft in round five and some of these quarterbacks are available, I, I will start to look towards them. But in rounds four and above, I just I can't see justifying why you would take those quarterbacks at that point. But in this range, I think it starts to become a question. Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen in the fifth round, I think is, is sort of where you start to see the value in these top quarterbacks. Fifth round would probably be the earliest that I would consider one of these quarterbacks. And, and don't get me wrong, these guys are the clear-cut difference makers at the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely value in getting them, especially if you you can pair, you know, Josh Allen with Diggs or Mahomes with Tyreek Hill in redraft. Like that's elite, right? But if you have to take Josh Allen at 32 overall, I feel like that's just very, very high. But like I said before, you know, fantasy pros and these other sites are just baking in that multiple opponents in your league are going to reach on quarterbacks, which happens every single season. And it's so annoying, but it happens. And that's just the way that, you know, fantasy goes. It's it's going to be hard to win without one of these guys. So I, I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a problem for me personally cuz I want one of I want one of these top 5 quarterbacks or top mm. 6 and I don't know I I think that you're going to have to spend a top 4 round pick to get one of them and I'm going to have to deal with that when the time comes. You know, it, like you said, it's about also knowing your league, depending on if, if, you, if you've been playing in your home league for a long time, you can kind of learn people's tendencies. Like Joey and I, we live in upstate New York. Like all the Bills players are going to be overdrafted. Like that's 100% going to happen. Josh Allen's going in the second round, third round. Uh, you know, we play with a bunch of Packers fans. Aaron Rodgers is going to be off the board in the fourth round. So, you know, it, understand the players that you're not going to be able to get and, and where to exploit that value. As we 
we get to this point in round five, though, I'm also willing to take shots on running backs again after fading them and, and you know, hammering wide receivers in the earlier rounds like we've discussed because, well, I think the opportunity cost of taking a player like Miles Sanders over Amari Cooper is high and it's very detrimental to your team. I'm less concerned about the opportunity cost of, say, going somebody like, you know, Travis Etienne over Brandon Ayuk or, or somebody in that range because the running back drop-off is coming quickly in the next couple of rounds and the wide receiver depth just lasts so much longer in in redraft than it does in best ball people aren't hammering the position the way they are in best ball so if you're personally Mm -hmm. bullish on players like etn or daryl henderson or kareem hunt or javante williams or somebody in that range i think that you know come round five early round six is when you come back and you get your running back two or even your running back one if you've been hammering wide receiver and or tight end in the earlier rounds yep i would say this is definitely the range to start going with running backs especially if you go wide receiver heavy early and in our case our main hundred dollar home league we start three wide receivers and two flex spots so if we're looking at it from that perspective I think it'd be beneficial for us to go that route you know Mm -hmm. hammer wide receivers who are as safe as the running backs in round one and probably have higher ceilings and fill out those three wide receiver spots and you know maybe get a running back in between there and then come back in in round six and like you said get a Daryl Henderson who is going in the third round in best ball get a Travis Etienne in round six who's going in round five sometimes round four in best ball and then you got Javante Williams Chase Edmonds you know some guys that we like and and some and some other running backs James Robinson probably wouldn't draft him but Kareem Hunt in that range as well is, is a solid RB2 flex option so I don't mind taking running backs at this point in the draft over the wide receivers uh, just for the reason that you mentioned the wide receiver depth is insane and in your home league wide receivers probably aren't going to come off the board as fast as they would in a best ball mania 2 draft definitely joey this is where the tight end drop off happens as well where hawkinson and andrews get taken and and at that point we're going to be fading if we missed on those guys is this an example of sort of what we talked about at the beginning where it's you know prioritizing floor over ceiling because to me i think hawkinson is a much better pick than mark andrews in this format because mark andrews as we know his upside is going to come from big touchdown weeks and in best ball you don't have to worry about when that's going to be but andrews you know he's probably going to have multiple 20 point games mixed in with a bunch of games under five points when he doesn't score touchdowns in this Mm -hmm. format i think it's a perfect example of why you would go with a player like hawkinson so you know maybe he's not going to have a bunch of 20 25 point games but he's probably going to be dropping between 12 and 15 on a regular basis and that can get you through when you're just trying to land top six opposed to top two i would much rather have tj hawkinson at 57th overall over mark andrews at 47th overall just for the reason that you said mark andrews might have a higher ceiling than tj hawkinson but it's not that much higher tj hawkinson over mark andrews in redraft for sure if you get you know a 10 pick discount on tj hawkinson when they're both going within three picks of each other in best ball so give me tj hawkinson Yep. And, and moving on to round six and seven, and we'll put them together because I think they're very similar in terms of, you know, what you do during them. You know, we see the ADP discrepancies between best ball and redraft really start to take shape at this point. And I think that these rounds are going to be the easiest to win if you're an experienced drafter, because A, drafters who are less in tune with information and projections will be making mistakes in this round. They'll be going after household names, maybe rather than the players that we are projecting to take big leaps forward. And I also think that this is the point in the draft where there's sort of a panic by, you know, more casual players that their starting line 
lineup is not filled. So they might be taking quarterbacks who don't need to be taken this early just because they don't have one and they want to have a strong starting lineup. So they go with Rodgers, Brady, and Stafford, somebody like that, when you can get comparable quarterbacks rounds later. And I I think that, you know, Mm -hmm. easily avoiding mistakes like that is how you win in these mid rounds. People are going to burn picks on players like Dallas Goddard and Noah Fant or, you know, running backs like Mostert and Gordon when you can get very similar players rounds later. So I think if you've been drafting in best ball all offseason, these are the rounds that are going to feel the easiest to you. You're going to see the players that are getting overdrafted and you can just hammer value in, in round six, seven, and even eight. Yep. This is definitely the stretch of the draft where if you've been drafting best ball teams you're going to feel very comfortable like you said other opponents are going to start to panic maybe their running backs are weak so they they reach on you know a Leonard Fournette in the sixth round or they reach on a Ronald Jones or, or Damian Harris type when they're being drafted in the ninth round you know in best ball this is definitely the range where you should let your opponents make the mistakes. Just take the value. Get your depth at wide receiver or start drafting your running backs. Daryl Henderson, who is ranked 61 overall on Fantasy Pros ADP, which is the first pick of the sixth round. I mean, that's incredible value. Like I said, he's being drafted in the third round. I think Chase Edmonds in a full PPR format is worth his 64th overall ranking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got some wide receivers in, in Odell, Kenny G, Clay Claypool, Jamar Chase going in the sixth round, and these guys are off the board sometimes in best ball by the end of the fourth round. So like I said, just compare ADPs and you can easily see who the value picks are in this range. Are you more or less likely in this range to go after players with question marks, like sort of like we talked about avoiding risk and letting our opponents make mistakes? Like, are you going to feel comfortable in round six going after a player like Michael Thomas or Kenny Galladay? Are you just going to sort of take the safer value in players that we know are going to be starting in week one and contributing to your lineup from the beginning of the season on? Yeah, I'd probably go the safer route Mm -hmm. um, for sure. In best ball, I think that it's fine to take a shot on some of these guys that are going to miss the beginning of the season, especially in the tournament formats over there. But like we've talked about and tried to hammer into our listeners' heads, top six make it and redraft if you're playing in a 12-man league. So you just have to get there and then anything can happen. I'm probably going the safer route, taking the value and just not having to worry about when Michael Thomas is going to come back and if he's going to be fully healthy and you know, if I have to start them over one of my wide receivers that I drafted with my first three or four picks, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't want that decision. So probably just full fading Michael Thomas in redraft leagues. Yep, I agree with that 100%. Moving on to round eight, the final round we're going to cover in this episode of the podcast. How are you handling this portion of the draft? Yeah, so in this pocket of the draft, pick 85 to 96 on Fantasy Pro's 85 would be Ryan Tannehill, and then they got some wide receivers and running backs mixed in. Robert Tunyon's in there as well, and Logan Thomas. I'm probably fading those two tight ends. If I'm waiting on tight end up to this point, I'll just wait three or four more rounds, come out of the draft with a Janu or Hunter Henry, which we'll talk about on the next episode. I'm probably going to take another running back at this point. Trey Sermon is interesting. Damian Harris is interesting. Zach Moss, I think, is worth a draft pick. And probably just go with one of those running backs there um, as my RB2 or RB3 if I'm waiting in redraft. And I, I just think that just due to the waivers and the fragility of running backs, 
that you can wait on your running backs, especially if you're only starting two or max three in your uh, full PPR leagues. I think that if you just manage waivers and, you know, pay attention throughout the season, you'll you can easily replace production at running back throughout the draft. Mm -hmm. So I'm probably taking an RB2 here, RB3, and then probably take one more throughout the entire draft, be done with the position. I mean, this this round is kind of ass, I'm not going to lie. It is, especially by the ADP looking, you know, on fantasy pros. And I guess what I want to leave the listeners with for this episode is that you that you should try and understand the difference between actual value and like perceived value. And what I mean by that is that it, it would be considered a reach to go for a player like LaVisca Chenault or Michael Gallup or Mike Williams in this range, according to fantasy pros ADP. But if we look at a sharper site like underdog, you know, these players are going a round or two ahead of this. So to me, that's actual value. That's value of players that are expected by the sharpest members of the fantasy football community, by people who have real money invested in this, who are drafting every single day that it's value mm-hmm. to get these players in round eight, even if it seems like you're quote unquote reaching based on much weaker ADP by a lot of mock drafts and auto drafts and stuff like that. So to me, I'm really focusing on ADP as like a social construct and using my experience in drafts to still build the best roster and care a lot less about what ESPN's ADP is and just make the correct picks. And a lot of the times you're almost always going to be right just taking wide receivers over these these other shaky <laughs> positions in this range. So I have no problem, you know, quote unquote, reaching on Gallup or Chenault or Chark or Mike Williams or whoever and just securing strong wide receiver fours and fives, players with top 24 upside at their position in this range. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, strategy to implement into, you know, your redraft strategy. And like I've been mentioning, just looking at Fantasy Pro's ADP an underdog ADP, you'll be able to recognize what players are values and what players are not. So I think that's the one thing that I would leave the listeners with is do not, you know, use the ESPN rankings or the fantasy pros rankings uh, for the reasons that you mentioned, just mock drafts with people that don't have enough capital invested into it. They also do mock drafts with computer simulated picks. Just no, just don't do that. Just go look at underdog ADP where like Ben said, the sharp drafters have been drafting all off season. You'll be able to find the clear cut values and go from there. Also wide receivers are just much better picks than running backs in every single round so (laughs) that's that's a stone fact it it really is though it's not even an opinion it's a fucking fact that wide receivers are better so if you're listening to this wide receivers are better than running backs in every single round but you still need those running backs to hit that you do take so just a just a careful balance you know Mm mm-hmm Yeah, no, I feel you. And I think that that's going to be it for episode 156 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carrion DFS. New episodes of the podcast drop every Thursday on Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, and every other podcast platform on the internet. We'll be back tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow with episode 157 to finish up this discussion to go round by round throughout the back end of the draft so make sure you guys check that out to our listeners out there just know that we appreciate you we value you until next time let's stay accountable and keep it authentic bye